Welcome to the HR Chat Show, one of the world's most downloaded and shared podcasts designed for HR pros, talent execs, tech enthusiasts, and business leaders. For hundreds more episodes and what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com. Hi, everyone. It's Matt Burns, today's guest host of the HR Chat Podcast. In this episode, we're going to focus on all things talent management, learning technology, and relentless intention. My guest today, Christopher Lind, the VP and Chief Learning Officer at ChenMed. Chris is also the host of the popular Learning Tech Talks podcast and the founder of Learning Sharks, a firm that supports organizations with comprehensive, unbiased advisory on all things learning innovation and technology. Chris, welcome to the HR Chat Show. Hey, uh, thank you for having me. And I, I don't know how to respond to saying the popular learning tech time. I mean, not, wow, it's such a compliment and we're just getting started. I, I may have overstated that. I mean, I, I think it's a great show. We joke, Chris, oh, but you. I was there in the very beginning when you were talking about you launching were. the podcast and we've been you friends were. now for a few years. I am um, a big fan of the work that you're doing, a big fan of all the things that you're doing, both at ChenMed, but certainly with Learning Tech Talks and Learning Sharks. Today's conversation, we're going to get into all of that and much, much more. But uh, I think first and foremost, I'd love to get into one question that's been eating away at me. If you could just introduce ChenMed and tell our listeners a bit about the mission of the organization. Yeah. And they're probably, if if anyone there actually listens to this, they'll probably ding me for not saying it exactly right, because mm. we actually have, we have the official mission, which let's see if I can get it. It's to honor seniors with affordable VIP care that delivers better health. I think that is the official mission. I'm trying to remember because we've got the vision, the mission, and the core model. But ultimately, if I were to break it down into layman's terms, the company is committed to transforming healthcare for underserved populations in the US, which is just a grossly neglected group of people. The US healthcare system is already broken as it is, but then you stack mm. on top of it. If you are in a underserved area, there's just really, it's pretty dismal. And so they've made it intentional to say, let's go in and let's, we can do better. We can do better, which is pretty awesome. Once in a while an event series is born that shakes things up, it makes you think differently, and it leaves you inspired. That event is Disrupt HR. The format is 14 speakers, 5 minutes each, and slides rotate every 15 seconds. If you're an HR professional, a CEO, a technologist, or a community leader and you've got something to say about talent, culture, or technology, Disrupt is the place. It's coming soon to a city near you. Learn more at disrupthr.co. Well, and I know one thing for you in particular that you're known for, something that we've talked a lot about offline is the importance of connecting learning strategy to broader organizational strategy. You know, we think yeah. about how learning supports the growth. You guys have quadrupled in size in the last couple of years. That's an incredible growth trajectory for any organization. But when I think about the highly regulated very unique skill sets in the healthcare sector, I start to think about all of the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hours that have to go into developing a workforce, keeping it skilled, upskilling it. And then as you introduce more and more innovation and technology into the, in the workplace, bringing that workforce along with that shift, 
How do you as a chief learning officer pair your learning strategy, your learning technology strategy with a broader organization strategy to make sure that it's in full alignment? So I didn't grow up in HR, which I think in some ways helped. Not a knock on HR at all, but I just came from a different vantage point because I was in the ops side of the house. I'd always spent my time in ops and different operational functions. And so to me, I've always been probing into, at the end of the day, all of us are just trying to solve a business problem. I mean, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're all trying to solve business problems. My lens was just always, well, but at the end of the day, we need people to solve that problem. So what do we need them to do to solve that problem? So in terms of staying connected to that, I mean, that's just part of my repertoire is hanging out with my ops leaders and my business counterparts going, what are you really trying to do? And I'm close enough to the C-suite that I spend a lot of time talking to them about like, why are we trying to knock this this way? Or why are we trying to go in that direction so that I can help them go, you stop worrying about how you make the people do it. Don't you worry about that. You stay laser focused on if you're the chief clinical officer, what's happening in the medical or healthcare space? What is that gap or that challenge that we're trying? Let me figure out okay, where are people today and what do we need them doing differently tomorrow as a result of that? And so again, going back to the relationship, it's just, we've got different lanes, but we're all looking at the same thing. You're looking at the same thing, but I would argue that your challenge is probably one of the greater challenges on that C-suite group at the board at the table. You're talking about making a shift into technology and modalities that are foreign to a lot of executives. You mentioned early on, Chris, in this conversation, just how broken healthcare is in the United States. I'd lump education right into that pile of traditional enterprise or traditional modalities that are in need of a refresh. How do you consider the growth of, of broader education? And how do you stay on top of the latest trends knowing that whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality or artificial intelligence, it seems like every other day a new tool is entering into the market purporting to be able to, to provide better learning experience or to increase yeah. learning retention, <laughs> learning engagement. Yeah. How do you source what is working, what's not working, and how do you figure out how to stay on top of everything? So some of it, people ask a lot. They go, how do you manage to run your podcast and do this other stuff and you know, do these other things. And to me, it's, well, they're one and of the same. They're the same thing. They're not in conflict with each other. In many ways, I am doing what I should be doing as an executive by saying, all right, what's happening in the industry? What are my peers doing? What are the vendors doing? How are they solving these problems? So I dedicate a portion of my time to that. It just happens to be I broadcast some of it because other people find value in that. So I think that's been one way in staying on top of it. Because the reality is the market is confusing is all get out. I mean, it's every week, there's some new market category coming out claiming that this is the next latest and greatest, whatever. So some of it, I'll admit my technical background helps tremendously. I can cut through the fluff much easier than maybe somebody with a less technical background. Somebody can try and dazzle me with AI and spirit fingers. And I'm like, "Mm, okay, but let's talk about what your algorithms are doing and how are they actually pinpointing the skill gaps and how are you tying? And they're like, oh, um, I thought we could just say AI and you would be fine with whatever that is. So that helps, which is also why I started the podcast because I recognized a lot of people, they couldn't translate that. And so the goal was to help with that. So I think some of it's that, but ultimately going back to making sure that you're looking at what are we really trying to solve for? 
there's a misnomer that if you get the right tech, it's going to fix the problem. Well, it's not. The tech's not going to fix the problem. You got to know what the problem is and what kind of things you need to try and solve that problem. Well, then you do that. Going and looking at the tech market, it's much easier to go, can you do this thing? You can't. Okay. That's not the right solution for this problem then. I think you're spot on. And I think one of the challenges that's affected L&D for as long as I've been in the HR profession is the idea of measurement. There's lots of good yeah. programs out there where, again, they purport to solve all the world's problems. They have great UI. They have great marketing campaigns, slick salespeople that can tell you that they can solve everything that you have problems for. But it really comes down to measurement. And when you're sitting at that you know, C-suite table, talking to your CFO, talking to your CFO, talking to your board, they want bottom line results for the investments they're making in their people. I'm curious, that technical background you talked about, does that come into play as well around measurement? And if so, how does it play a role in your broader um, capacity as CLO? Yeah, it, it does in the sense that it helps me know what can be measured and how. So mm. I usually don't have to put a whole lot of thought into okay, so how would we do it? But I think one of the fundamental misses when it comes to measurement that sometimes I ruffle feathers with my business counterparts is I think a lot of leaders in my seat have historically assumed, well, if somebody's coming to me, they've already thought through the problem and what they're trying to do. And that's not always the case. They may not, I mean, this is an HR podcast. We all know this, that our business sure. counterparts don't always come to us with a clearly defined problem statement of here's exactly what we're trying to do and what good looks like on the other side. And I think that's where I end up going into a lot of conversations that don't always start off really well, where it's like, listen, I'm not fighting you. I just need to get to the bottom of what are we actually trying to measure so that I can identify what data points might we be able to pull from, what sources, what kind of data gaps do we have that then I can fill with other technology solutions to try and bridge that gap. Um, and I think that's that makes a big difference. It absolutely affects the measurement conversation though. Thanks for tuning in to the HR Chat Podcast. If you're enjoying this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And now back to the conversation. You can't see because my hands are off screen right now, but I have a thin layer of perspiration forming because I'm thinking about all the old conversations I had with CEOs and <laughs> boards about learning and development. And Chris, you know this, the first thing that's often cut in times of recession or in times yep. of downturns is learning. And at the same time, I've sat through countless conversations where we had a problem performer in an organization. And the first idea was put them in more training, it'll fix the problem. And so yeah. organizations, you know, to your point, organizations and their leaders don't often understand the true problem set they don't really understand learning strategy, learning technology, and how it affects at the individual, at the team and the organizational level. You know, in your role as chief learning officer, I'm sure part of your capacity is education within the broader organization in terms of what's possible, what's not possible. Maybe talk a bit about how you manage stakeholders in establishing your mandate and seeing it through to completion. Yeah. So, I mean, here's a good example of one. I recently had a business leader who had pinged me and he'd run into a problem and he'd said, could we use VR for this? Mm. I mean, again, a well-intended question. There is a legitimate problem type of a thing. And so I dug into it and just, <laughs> I don't know if he was expecting this as a response, but I ended up recording a 90 minute response to what he'd asked in a simple question of, 
you know, here are the different problem sets that we may need to consider. Here are the different interventions. Here's how we may think about it. These are the different solutions we could look at. Just broke the whole thing down to the point where I didn't even have to say it. He went back to the drawing board and went, I don't think I know what I'm trying to solve for yet enough mm -hmm. to even bring this to you. And that ended up leading to a really powerful conversation because I said, well, let me help you with that. Like, you don't need to go do that on your own. Let me participate in this. But I think it was helpful in terms of saying like, yeah, I do need to educate you on this because it is complicated. It is very, very complicated. As a lot of problems are today, and you know, I'm not going to miss an opportunity to talk about virtual reality. You open the door, Chris, I'm going to jump right through I, it. Yeah. You think that you, wasn't you, intentional. <laughs> I know it was intentional. In 2020, you and I partnered on the Global HR Summit. It was a three-day conference that brought together 60 HR and business leaders from around the world to speak about all things culture, human resources, and the modality was unique. We used virtual reality as our delivery tool to be able to cascade that message to 800 people, of which 400 of them were in avatars, in headsets, participating in a alt space venue put on by Microsoft. It was truly a unique event, probably ahead of its time in a lot of ways. And as we yep. flash forward three years from now, one of the things I'm most proud of, Chris, is that of the 60 speakers that were at that event, 15 of them went on to introduce virtual reality into their organizations, including yourself. I'd love to know a bit more about your relationship with virtual reality. I know that when I bugged you in 2020, it wasn't your first dance. You hadn't played with the technology before. You'd experimented with it before on a personal basis. What's been your history with virtual reality and what does it look like today at ChenMed? So if I were to go back a bit, because there's there's virtual reality, then there's extended reality, which is the broader category. And yes, you know, I've been playing with the extended reality space for 15 years, you know, in terms of how can we leverage this immersive digital layer of technology in our real world type of a thing. So, you know, as it came into 2020 and even a little bit before that, already had been doing some work around really heavily around simulation work. And I think one of the gaps that or misses a lot of people think is when they think simulations, they think, oh, well, we don't do manufacturing or we don't do high risk, you know, active shooter training, things like that. And it's like, well, right, but you do have human interactions. So you do do simulations or there's benefit to that. So even you know, before the chance we got to do uh, the conference together, we were running VR sims, and I would call it hybrid VR. We weren't using the headsets because just the infrastructure was not there yet. But for simulation-based stuff, how do you actually have people simulate environments and experiences? Going back to the way you build skills is through practice. You don't build skills by having somebody watch a fancy YouTube video. You have them build skills by doing something with it. And so we were using this for heavily for our sales training in terms of how do you actually simulate a conversation with a physician? Now, this was before I was with ChenMed. Coming to ChenMed, I was back at ground zero. This was, this was new territory for this organization. And our IT org is not, I mean, for anybody exploring the tech, if you wanna play with the hardware, you better team up with some of your IT partners or something like that and see where you are. Cause it's, you're not going to get the CFOs buy-in to be like, can we buy headsets for everyone to roll out for a training? <laughs> They're going to laugh you out of the room. So you do have to think about, okay, how are we approaching this? Which the good news is XR technology does not all require a headset. So even here where we've started, because now that we're getting into this a little bit more, I've hired somebody who's a 
basically an XR programmer who can design these things for us. And some of the things we're doing now is even just digital twin technology, where one of the things that we lack is we've gotten huge and many people don't get exposure to our home office or some of these locations of how workflows happen. Well, we can't, it doesn't make sense with the size we are now to fly everybody in all the time. So we're using immersive tech to create digital twins of our real locations that you can then navigate through. Now, could you do it in a headset? Yeah, would it be a way cooler experience? Sure, but can you also do it from a mobile device or from your desk? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I'm doing now with my teams is how do we introduce the organization to the possibilities? Because there still are a lot of myths and wrong mindsets about what VR really is for. In the fast-changing new world of work, Organizations that want to succeed must support their teams to develop the right skills for today and for the future. As practical learning experts, Holt EF Corporate Education helps organizations and employees of all levels to develop the critical business skills, attitudes and behaviors they need to be successful. We combine the expertise and agility of a boutique learning partner with the resources of a trusted, global organization. Learn more at HoltEF.com. Before, before generative AI, most simulations in virtual reality or any other modality for that matter, looked a lot like choose your own adventure. Role player. Yeah. Role play. So you pick one of three scenarios. You go up to, let's just say I have an example where I worked with an organization and advised them and they were building simulations for social workers that were going into high risk homes and having conversations with parents, a challenging job at the best of times. And in those cases, they were preparing them for the inevitable Yep. objections, pushback, in some cases, violence. And they would say, okay, you're talking to a parent and this parent reacts violently. You're going to choose option A or option B. If you choose option A or option B, the simulation would replicate that experience. But to your point, with generative AI, you no longer have that option A, option B. It's you literally oh. communicate with the simulation and it will provide right. to you a response based on what you said. It is customized and tailored to the actual and dynamically words that you're using. personalize the environment around it. Because the way we used to get around this from a learning standpoint was we recognized that a choose your own adventure, multiple choice quiz with an adaptive simulation it honestly was clunky. It just really was because you're like, well, sure. really, would anybody actually say any of these three things? Maybe. So then you do role play, which not only is it not scalable, but it's hard to role play with. Something. If you and I were to sit and simulate something, I couldn't disconnect from the fact you're Matt Burns and it end up snickering about whatever it was versus yeah. now the generative AI can actually take and dynamically change things. So you merge that. I mean, it's powerful. It's powerful because, again, creates reality, which is ultimately going to lead to learning. And again, you have the opportunity to end the simulation, pause the simulation, play back the tape. And like athletes have been doing for years, from, a, from an athletic performance perspective, really break down piece by piece. Where so does your you body language? These are the words that you chose. Here's where your eye contact may have fallen apart. And you're able to address some of those opportunities with people and give them real tangible feedback without having it be a lawsuit or a, an unfortunate you know, end case in a, in a very highly, highly volatile situation. Yep. You know, Chris, 
I think about other technologies. I'm curious for yourself, you talked about generative AI, you talked about virtual reality. Is there anything else that's keeping you interested when it comes to the idea of the advancements around learning, technology or otherwise? What's something that you're excited about when it comes to innovations in the broader enterprise learning space? I think one of the underutilized ones you're not hearing enough in the space, there are some players, a handful come to mind who are really innovating in this space is using machine learning for mm. analytical insights. There's a lot of tech out there that are claiming insights and analytics, and really it's just dashboarding. And it's taking data and presenting it visually. But what I'm seeing more of and I'm excited about is we are creating so much data, mm. so much data that no human being can even accurately look at it and evaluate what it is. I mean, even just going back to our example of VR tied with uh, generative AI, the amount of data that gets created through a 10-minute simulation is exponential. So to think that somebody's ever going to go back and look at that, in, and we can't even get people to go back and look at their performance reviews, right? Like we can't even get people to do that. So to think somebody's going to debrief and deconstruct a 10-minute VR simulation it's not there, but machine learning can. And so I'm seeing some players who are really playing with this, not to start making decisions, but to be scouring and combing through this data and coming up, identifying patterns and trends and presenting people with those going, hey, is this something that you should be paying attention to? And I think that's exciting because that's going to give us greater visibility into people's skills. It's going to help us make better decisions. It's going to help us be able to actually look at are we really doing things based on data or are we doing them based on our personal preference and then finding data to convince us that we're doing the right thing? More often than not, it's the latter. And that's where we run into challenges. And I agree, data becomes a really compelling tool in amongst many other organizations. And I think, you know, when I talk to leaders now about the use of analytics, whether it's in my own organization or on this podcast, it's usually in the context of using data as a complement to experience to yes. the lessons they've learned throughout their career. We're not saying that people need to just lean on the data blindly. It's oh, meant gosh. to be another voice on the table. And I, would, and the I table. would plead, don't do that. There are solutions out there being like, hey, we can make these decisions for you. You need the human in the loop. You absolutely need the human in the loop. But can it at least get you to quicker insights that you can then make decisions on? Yes. And is it going to provide you with insights you would have never in your lifetime been able to identify? Absolutely. Speaking of never in my lifetime, I never thought in my lifetime you'd write a book. I remember sitting with you over the last <laughs> several years talking about all the things that you were going to do and of all the list yeah. of the many things that you were talking about, launching a podcast, launching an advisory firm. I never once heard Christopher Lind author. And yet you have a book coming out, Relentless Intention. Yeah. Tell me a bit about the process to arrive at deciding A, to write the book, B, what it's about, and C, who's the audience you're intending to write it for? Yeah. So I actually, myself, the reason you didn't ever hear me talk about it was because I swore I never would. I said, mm -hmm. I don't, I like creating content. I like do, writing short form things. I don't really have a book to write. And literally in the middle of the night, one night I woke up and went, I have to write a book. <laughs> I know what I have to write a book about. It's the conversations I have with people all the time. I just need to put this in one story mm -hmm. so that others can learn from it. And so I 
my you can ask my wife about it. she's still like i remember you jumped out of bed and you ran to your office and started jotting down like and this is the chapter and this is the title and this is all this stuff because it just kind of hit me um so yeah the book is relentless intention and really what it is is having lived at the center of family career and business family career and tech in a very odd way i often see that some of the biggest things that hold us up are we don't really truly understand our purpose. We don't understand the purpose of what we're doing. And so we're operating off of false pretenses and we're operating around barriers that aren't really there and being able to help drive people to, what are you actually trying to accomplish? Like, if, can we get to the core of your intention? Because if you can get to the core of that, you have so much more latitude in what can, you can accomplish and the way you can reimagine the possibilities when you do it right. And so that's what it was. It's a combination of both personal and professional reflections on how I've navigated life and hopefully help others be able to see life through that same lens. Well, speaking of your wife, I know she's a source of a lot of inspiration on your book. I know yeah. she makes you 10 times better than you actually are in real life. And I think the book's going to represent that as well. She's really been helping in terms of bringing together all these disparate ideas helping with the strategy behind it. You, know, you guys have a really special relationship, seven children, you working full-time, podcast, yeah. advisory. I mean, you talk about having a busy life, Chris. You've certainly, on the shortlist of people that I know who are juggling many different things, what role does your relationship play in making all that stuff kind of work come together? So she's my, the yin to my yang. It mm. is really the best way I can describe it in the sense that we are not alike and that's a good thing. You know, a lot of times that causes conflict, but we figured out how to go, no, but this is an asset to us because you see the things I don't see. And I see the things you don't see. And instead of getting defensive about that, we can use that to push each other forward. And so I think that's, you know, whether it's my work, she's the one who tells me you're, you're getting off track. You're, you've lost your intention. I know your intention and you're off your intention and you need to get back on it. Uh, she's the one who helps rein me in when I get a little too sucked into my work and my career and goes, don't forget, you grew up in a funeral home. You got seven kids. What's more important? You know, and then boom, like, bam, she brings me right back. So yeah, it's, um, I couldn't do it without her, to be honest. Major props to your partner. I've, we've talked about her. I one day would love to meet her because I know that she is the brains behind the genius that is Christopher Lind. Um, you know, you've accomplished so much in the short period of time. You know, Chris, what's next for you? What are you thinking about the balance of 2023? I know you have the book coming out. You've got seven kids. You got a full-time job. You got a podcast. You got an advisory consulting firm. Anything else you're thinking about for 2023? I, I, I'm more one of those. I always have an intention mm. and I don't really know what the plan is. And I let the plan play itself out. And so my intention still continues to be, I want to influence the way every company in the world develops their people. So what that looks like next, I'm not quite sure. But I'm just taking it one step at a time and enjoying life along the way. So for those who are interested, and I'm sure people who've been listening to this podcast are fascinated by how you make all this stuff come together, where can folks learn a bit more about ChenMed, Christopher Lind, the podcast? Where can we get more details about that? Yeah, so, you know, obviously ChenMed's got their website up. You can find out all about them there. 
Um, in terms of me, I'm extremely active on LinkedIn. So I'm actually usually more responsive to that than <laughs> you call my phone. You may or may not get me. You message me right. on LinkedIn, you'll actually get me. And then I've got my website, Learning Sharks, which has any of my podcast episodes. I'm also building out a fairly robust set of content on YouTube, which is kind of one of my things for 2023 is stepping outside of just the learning tech brand and really trying to develop and coach people along the way. So it's not really coaching, just more so, hey, here's some more wisdom and insights on how to navigate this place. My friend, always a pleasure connecting. Thank you so much for your time today and looking forward to having this chat again uh, offline. All right. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much for having me. Always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for listening to the HR Chat Show. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and listen to some of the hundreds of episodes published by HR Gazette? And remember, for what's new in the world of work, subscribe to the show, follow us on social media, and visit hrgazette.com.